0: Thank you, Jessica. Uh, this morning, uh, meeting people here, I, Bob said that he was looking forward to hearing me speak this morning, and I said, well, how did you know I was speaking? And he said, well, because you're wearing the microphone. And I said, well, I'm just wearing it to look cool. <laughs> <I> tricked you. <laughs> so before we get into the message, uh, why don't we pray over the message? Um, Lord Jesus, uh, as we sang this morning, um, it's your breath in our lungs, and I just pray that it's also your voice that is in me, that it's your words that are in me this morning. And I just pray over this message that I feel like you put on my heart to share with the church. And I just pray that you cultivate everyone's hearts as they sit here this morning and prepare them for this message, and that it'll Hit them in the way that they need to be hit, and maybe encourage them to uh, live out their faith um, in their ordinary life, like you ask us to do. And so I just thank you for this morning and for this opportunity. In your name we pray. Amen. So, as you're sitting here this morning, any of you who know me might be thinking, How in the world? Did Jason get talked into preaching the sermon on opening weekend of deer season? <laughs> I'm wondering the same thing, actually. Um, I, ha- I happen to be a passionate hunter, and so I guess uh, months ago when Eric asked me if I would preach on opening weekend Something in me thought, well, if you're passionate about something, you should be just as passionate about sharing that passion with other people who might be passionate about it, something like that. So I felt like I was helping out a fellow hunter. So that's why I'm here this morning. So originally my idea was to uh, preach on priorities. But then as I started preparing that, I was like, you know... Preaching on priorities when the lead pastor is missing church to sit in the tree stand maybe isn't maybe that's not a good look. So, <laughs> so this morning we're what we're going to talk about is um, living out our faith in everything we do. So, all of you know, and it's probably clear already, I'm not a full time pastor. None of you are full-time pastors. I'm not in full-time ministry. Most of you are not in full-time ministry. Um, But it is ironic that this message comes on the morning that we had a missions moment. So even though we are not full-time pastors, we are not in full-time ministry per se, we are all called to be um, bivocational ministers. By vocational means we're called by God to do something else out in the world. But at the same time, we're called into some form of ministry if we're a Christian, if we're pursuing Jesus. So where does that come from? So we're going to start out this morning in Matthew 28, and we're going to go straight to the words of Jesus himself. Verses 19 through 20, Jesus says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So that is a full statement there that we could spend a whole sermon sort of unpacking that, which isn't what we're going to do. you can kind of break it into a couple sections. So he starts out saying, go make disciples of all nations. That already in itself sounds like a huge task, but it is his instruction for us. It's what we're called to do. Then it says baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son. Now it's getting even a little more intimidating for some of us who don't do this as a full-time vocation. I mean, we're called to baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and then we're called to teach them? Whoa, I'm not a teacher. So this really seems overly complicated if we really read into it, but it's actually not that complicated. And the other thing we're going to talk about as we move through this message is the last part of that verse where he says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So what we see here. Very briefly, is a clear instruction from Jesus that we're supposed to do something that sounds like ministry, um, but we get something out of it. So we know that um, this isn't that faith in Jesus isn't really a transactional thing. It's not like we do it in order to get something back. But what we often see is Jesus telling us, and we'll see it later in this message as well. That if you follow these instructions, here is, here is a reason why you should follow these instructions because it opens you up to what I have available for you. And when you're not necessarily following these instructions, you're closing off yourself to what I have available for you. We put ourselves in a position to receive the gifts of God when we simply follow his instruction and in scripture. So how many of you have heard the term marketplace faith? Has anyone heard of that before? It's sort of a, we could call this message a lot of things, but what I'm going to call it today is marketplace faith, or faith in the marketplace. So that term marketplace can get misunderstood a little bit. It's not the same as like, I have faith that the stock markets are going to rebound, or it's not the market that we go to um, to buy our groceries or something like that. The marketplace is more of a broad, general term. What, what I'm referring to as the marketplace today is the place where we transact and interact with the rest of the world. So the marketplace uh, is the place where the non-Christian world and the Christian world sort of both come together together. Um, it's the space where we as Christians and non Christians intersect. So the marketplace could be where we go to educate, where we go to be entertained, where we go for health care, where we go for social interaction, lots of things. All of these things, in the way that I'm referring to the marketplace this morning, all kind of fall under this same umbrella. So the thing about the marketplace is, it is the place where there are endless opportunities for Christians and non-Christians or our Christian world and our non-Christian world to influence each other. It's... Sort of a continuous thing going back and forth. So that word influence—that is the main objective of pop culture, or the main objective really of society. Influence. Everything is based on influence, and it's even more so now than it's ever been before because of capabilities of. Um, media and social technology and all of that, it's sort of a thing that never sleeps. Influence is going on all the time. And because we're surrounded by it all the time, we've kind of become numb to it. Um, We're desensitized to it. We don't even notice that it's happening. But we are constantly sort of, um, I don't want to necessarily say under attack. Sometimes it could be under attack. But influence is something that is always there that we need to be aware of. But it's when we're unaware of it that we're heading into dangerous territory. Influence left unchecked can take us in a really bad direction. So any of us who have had kids or who have been a kid have seen this on full display. Um, We can Have the greatest, we could have been raised by the greatest parents, or we could be doing the best job possible as parents to give kids directions, and it can all go awry if they end up um, becoming connected with someone who's a negative influence. And so that's just one example, but it still happens to us as adults. So, influence left unchecked can take us in a bad direction. So, there is a really good example of that in the Bible, actually. Um, and we've all heard this story before Jesus in the temple. So, the temple um, this is actually people who um, knew Jesus, were well aware of him, were sort of his people. And all of a sudden, they left influence go unchecked for a long time. And they saw opportunities. And they became selfish and wanted to capitalize on those opportunities. And all of a sudden, what was going on in the temple was chaos, corruption, and just sort of a total backwards world. And we saw how Jesus felt about allowing that negative influence to take us in a bad direction. Um, In Matthew verse 21, we go back. Um, to Jesus. So verses 12 through 13 say, Jesus went into the temple and threw out all those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. So very rarely um, have we seen Jesus show, and, and it probably, the way I read it in my monotone, didn't make it sound as um, intense as it really was. Um, but we see Jesus showing emotion, showing how he really felt about this. And he even resorted to calling them a name, which we don't see often um, in Scripture um, but he, he called them a den of thieves. So this is really showing what unchecked influence, how Jesus um, feels about it when we allow ourselves to get off in that wrong direction. And that's what can happen in the marketplace when we're not prepared and when we're not built up to go into that um, and not be negatively influenced. So the marketplace can be broken into kind of three areas. So I'm going to break it into three areas here. The first one is our work. So this is like the things that we do with our hands, the product of whatever our vocation is. Um, Could be a skilled trade, um, could be a white collar job, could be anything in between. Um, and the Bible doesn't necessarily have specific tasks for how we should do our jobs. So it doesn't have specifics for a plumber. It doesn't say, like, if you're a plumber at 4.30 on a Friday, make sure you use um, pipe cleaner and glue and don't take any shortcuts. It doesn't say that. It doesn't tell us how to do our job. Um, it doesn't say read all the fine print on that contract. Um, but what it does tell us is how we should go about our work. So in Colossians 3, we see an example of that from Paul. In verse 23, he says, Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. So there, again, this is kind of following the same trend while we're not talking about transactional faith we are clearly seeing that when we come from a place of where our heart is prepared and we and we come from a place where we're doing it for as if for the lord and following his instruction there's a reward reward of inheritance that is a inheritance is a strong word like that that's just not some little cheap Reward that, is, that implies like something grand, something that is of utmost um, significance. And this is saying that whatever you do, if you do it from the heart as if done for the Lord, we are leaving ourselves open to receive that inheritance. So the first area of Marketplace Faith is our work. The second area is our demeanor. So, our demeanor is everything from how we act to how we speak to how we respond to turmoil. How we act, how we speak, how we respond to turmoil. So, again, we will see Jesus showing some emotion if we go back to Matthew in chapter 12, verse 34. Jesus says, Brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. So basically, Jesus is saying, whatever comes out of your mouth is a direct reflection of what you have stored up inside of you. And so when we talk about our demeanor, Um, in the marketplace, whether it's where we're working or where we're going to interact or transact, whatever comes out of our mouth is a direct reflection of what's in our heart. So we talked about our work. We talked about our demeanor. The third area is our relationships. So relationships is really where the rubber meets the road for acting out or for displaying our faith in the marketplace. And it's actually where the rubber meets the road for effectiveness in the marketplace, or another uh, way of saying that would be for the influence that we may have in the marketplace. So we can have the first two. We can be a very skilled um, uh, tradesperson or very skilled at whatever job, a skilled teacher, um, anything, whatever we're doing for our vocation, we can be really good at it, but not have the other two. We can be really good at our job and also have great demeanor. Um, But if we don't have relationships, our effectiveness is still not going to be what it could be. The relationships are what kind of wrap everything up together. And Pastor Eric has talked about that before, how our Christian faith is really based on relationships. Without relationships, it, we can't um, help each other. We can't influence each other. And so we can, if we have the first two, but we don't have the third, we are, number one, going to be easily influenced, As we go into the world, and we're also not going to have much influence on the people around us. So we really need to be able to have relationships. Um, Several months ago, Pastor Eric talked one Sunday about the scripture about being unequally yoked. And this really goes back to that concept. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, Do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? So this is really talking about relationships. Um, So let's go back to that unequally yoked thing for a minute, though. And I just want to talk about what it means and what it doesn't mean, because I think that there tends to be a lot of confusion around this, especially when we start talking about the marketplace. So what unequally yoked does not mean is avoiding any and all transactions and interactions with people in the marketplace, and um, especially with non-Christians. It's not saying that any non-Christian who you interact with at work um, or anywhere else, that you absolutely avoid all interactions and transactions with them just because they're non-Christian. That's not what it's saying. What it is saying is you need to try to avoid putting yourself in a position to be negatively influenced by those people. And on the other, or what I would add to that is, Not only do you want to avoid putting yourself in a relationship that where you would be negatively influenced, but you also want to put yourself in a position where you can try to have a positive influence on those people. And avoiding any kind of interaction with them, you're not going to be able. You might not be negatively influenced by them, but you're also not going to have any positive influence on them if you just avoid it altogether. Now, that being said, there are some instances where if you see something that it just is clear in your spirit and in your conscience that this is just not right, there are times where we have to avoid it. There are times where we may not want to support um, someone where it would be wrong. If, you're, if you are feeling that deep down in your spirit and your conscience, there are times where, where that is true, but often I think we misinterpret what this scripture is really telling us, and, and we just sort of paint it with a broad stroke and say, I can't interact with these people. I can't do anything with them because they're non-Christians, and that's just not true. So if we remember what a yoke is, um, it's not really something that we're that we commonly see anymore, but Um, It was mostly used in agriculture when you're trying to um, team up uh, livestock, mostly like it'd be horses that they're still used for today, but to make them work in unison or in tandem um, to get some sort of a job done. So yokes may have a negative connotation when we read them like this, but they can be helpful. So when So now let's go back to the people context. And we're talking about, as Christians, being yoked with someone else. A yoke can be helpful if we have the same goals and expectations and motivation and destination. When when we all have the same thing in mind, it actually makes for lighter work for everyone to work together. On the other hand, a yoke can be harmful when all those people have different goals, expectations, motivation, and destination. We're actually working against each other, and you could have the best intended person dragged down by someone else who, does, who isn't motivated or doesn't have goals or any kind of direction or destination. So yokes can be helpful and harmful. But in this case, what we're talking about is avoiding putting ourselves in a position where we can be negatively influenced. So we broke it down to our work, our demeanor, and relationships. What these three things are are the touch points that the non Christian world has with the Christian world. These may be their only um, connection to the Christian world. So really, when it comes to what we're talking about here in the marketplace, it's a question of who will out-influence the other? Who will win out over time? So then the next question is, how can we have marketplace faith? How can we have faith in everything that we do And the greater question is, how can we be built up to protect ourselves as we enter into this space? And how can we have ourselves prepared in a way that we can have some kind of influence? So if we go back to where we started, Jesus is tasking us with making disciples of all nations. So how do we do that? How do we prepare ourselves so we can actually do it? So again, I'm going to break it into three things. The first, and you all know these, but this is just a reminder. The first is, we must be in the Word daily. And in, in the, in the Bible is full of instructions for being in the Word. And um, we hear the Word referred to as the daily bread It is our nourishment. We don't just go to get nourished once a month. We wouldn't live that way. Um, And it's the same with the Word of God. If you just go every once in a while, you're not going to be very healthy spiritually. It needs to become our daily habit. And so this is really a task for all of us as the church to be in the Word daily. Now this, again, could sound to some of us who ha- don't have this as part of our daily habit, can seem intimidating. But it's not at all. There, we, right now, we have more resources available to us as Christians than anyone else ever has before. We can open up our phone and be in the Word with a mat- within a matter of seconds, wherever we are. So there's really no excuse. And this doesn't mean that you have to be digging deep for hours every day. Now I would say that as you get more into the word and become dependent on it, there's going to be times where you absolutely want to dig deeper because you crave it. But there's also going to be times as you make this part of your daily habit where you're just not feeling it. But that's called obedience. We go back to the word every day out of obedience, because we're instructed to do it, because it is the daily bread. The second thing we must do to build ourselves up is we must talk to God regularly. That's called prayer. The Bible says, pray in all circumstances. Um, I really like the one lyric in the song we sang, sang earlier that says, I love your voice. It's so simple. But it's one of those things that, again, if we just make talking to God part of just part of our inner fabric, if you, if you just do it enough that it just becomes kind of just the way we roll, it it prayer goes from this task that we feel that we need to do to just something that we do all the time, and it's a continuous conversation. It's not like calling up someone on the phone and you have a conversation and then nothing in between, God is with us all the time. And because we have that luxury of God being with us all the time, we can talk to him nonstop. So we must talk to God regularly. The third one is we must have fellowship with other believers routinely. And again, um, it needs to be part of our habit. The Bible calls it iron sharpening iron. We make each other stronger. We encourage each other to um, grow in our faith. We've spent the last couple months talking about the Beatitudes, the fruit of the Spirit, and the armor of God. In all of these things, you, you can't obtain without tapping into the direct conduits to God. And that's really what these three things that we just talked about, the Word, being in the Word daily, talking to God regularly, and having fellowship with other believers, those are the direct conduits to God. That is how we tap directly into God. So lastly, there is an added benefit to all of this, and this follows the trend of what I pointed out um, earlier, that God kind of assures us that if you follow this instruction, here are the great gifts that are available to you. So in Deuteronomy chapter 12, it says, Be careful to obey all these regulations I'm giving you, so that it may always go well with you and your children after you, because you will be doing what is good and right in the eyes of the Lord your God. The key words there that just really jump off the page to me are, so that it may always go well. So everything that I've just talked about, if you really want to boil it down to why it really matters, it's because God has these great gifts available for us. He wants things to go well for us. And he's basically saying, just do these things and it'll go well for you. And then in turn, you will be able to influence the people around you. So that is the added benefit to all of this is that it'll go well with us. So being a Christian does not exempt us from trials and turmoil. And we know that. We're all well aware of that. In fact, the word promises that we'll experience it at some point. But being a Christian increases our capacity to navigate trials and turmoil. So I'll say that one more time. Being a Christian doesn't exempt us from trials and turmoil, but being a Christian increases our capacity to navigate trials and turmoil. And when we talk about being influential, that is maybe the strongest influence of all. As we enter into this space the marketplace, how we respond to trials and turmoil may be the greatest testament of faith that we could possibly have. And that's really what this is all about. So I'm going to close in prayer this morning. Uh, Lord, I just pray um, that as we go into the Thanksgiving season that you just um, speak to all of us here this morning as we sit and as we close out this message and as we reflect on, on what we just talked about, um, that you'll just help us to have complete attitudes of gratitude. And, and that... Um, may sound cliche in some ways, but gratitude is something that really seems hard to come by these days. And it seems like when we cross paths with someone who is full of joy and gratitude, that they stand out to us. And part of the reason that they stand out to us is because it's tough. It's, it's hard to come by, and it's not common. And I just pray that the people of your church will be the people who are full of gratitude and joy, and that as they go out and interact with the rest of the world who may not know you, that that will be their experience with Christians, that it'll be the way they do their work, the way they carry themselves, the way they speak, and that 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 will influence people and that it'll open their hearts and make them wonder and make them want to come to know you more. And I just pray that we really reflect on that as we go into this week of Thanksgiving, all of the reasons that we should be grateful for you and that it moves us to live in a way that influences the people around us. So we just thank you for this day and just ask that as we leave, you just leave us uh, prepared to go into the world. In your name we pray. Amen.